Welcome to Weekend Ag Matters from the Iowa Agribusiness Radio Network. Join us for an in-depth look at Iowa agriculture. Here's your host, Mark Magnuson. Hello and welcome to Weekend Ag Matters on the Iowa Agribusiness Radio Network. In today's episode, Riley Smith will visit with Mike Anderson of the Iowa Beef Industry Council. Dustin Huffman is joined by Iowa Congressman Zach Nunn, and Russ Parker provides his faith-based segment. Let's turn our attention now to this week's news headlines. The U.S. Treasury Department will use a modified version of the GREET model as a measurement to determine reductions in greenhouse gas emissions. The agency will use the model as it allocates tax credits for sustainable aviation fuels under the Inflation Reduction Act. The National Corn Growers Association was pleased to hear the Treasury's decision. Quote, Given that GREET was created by the government and is widely respected for its ability to measure reductions in greenhouse gas emissions from the farm to the plane, we're encouraged by this, says NCGA President Harold Wool. We're eager to help the aviation industry reduce its carbon footprint and look forward to helping ensure the final model helps achieve that goal, end quote. GREET, which stands for the Greenhouse Gases Regulated Emissions and Energy Use in Transportation, was developed by the U.S. Department of Energy to measure greenhouse gas emissions from the field to the car or even plane. Farmland values in Iowa rose again, but at a slower pace than the two previous years. The annual Iowa State University Land Value Survey found that farmland values increased 3.7% or $424 to $11,835 per acre. That increase follows a larger 17% increase in 2022 and a near-record 29% increase in 2021. The study showed several factors behind the surge last year contributed to the rising prices in 2023. The Federal Reserve has used interest rate hikes to help curb inflation rates, and future increases will continue to slow the growth in farmland values, but not immediately. The Iowa State study says it will take a couple of years for interest rates to be reflected in farmland values. The impact of the aggressive rate hikes in 2022 is expected to be felt more strongly in 2024 and beyond. That will mean more modest growth or lower land prices ahead. And agribusiness mergers have been a concern for agriculture because they cut down on competition and lead to higher prices for things like inputs. The Justice Department and the Federal Trade Commission issued the 2023 merger guidelines describing the factors and frameworks the agencies utilize when reviewing mergers and acquisitions. The new guidelines were released after a two-year process of public engagement and reflect modern market realities and the experience of participants in the marketplace. Quote, these finalized guidelines provide transparency into how the Justice Department is protecting the American people from ways in which unlawful, anti-competitive practices manifest themselves in the modern economy. End quote. That's Attorney General Merrick Garland. The department also says that competitive markets and economic opportunity for all Americans go hand in hand. That's all the time we have this week for news headlines. Let's turn it over now to Russ Parker for his faith-based segment here on Weekend Ag Matters on the Iowa Agribusiness Radio Network. One of the traditions of Christmas is gift-giving. Lists are made, there are conversations with Santa, lots of wrapping, and of course we're bombarded with can't live without advertising. BOGO offers messages that create fear of loss, like only two left on the Amazon site, the commercial side of Christmas. I remember as a young child going to my grandma's house with great anticipation, wondering what Christmas gift might be under her tree for me. And now, as an adult, 
Not only are the memories cherished, but there's an understanding from Grandma's perspective. It wasn't about the gifts. The gift wasn't about presence, that's T-S, but rather presence, C-E. I stopped at my local Casey's the other morning for coffee, and the topic of Christmas came up with a cashier. I said something like, let's not forget about the real reason for Christmas, and she said, you're right, it's all about Jesus. Wrapping the gifts reminds us about how he came into this world wrapped in rags, and opening the gift representing the free gift of eternal life. And so for the next hour, as I drove to work, I thought about what she had shared, God's intent to bless us with the gift of his son as he walked among humans. Don't know about you, but giving gifts is something I really enjoy. Planning, sometimes being secretive, and then watching them being received is incredibly rewarding to me. And in the reciprocal, I've been accused of taking away the intended blessing of others when I answer the question, what do you want for Christmas, with, please don't get me anything. This answer is a thinking about a combination of things. First of all, not being comfortable receiving the present because of the sacrifice. That would be spending money on me and really just wanting the giver's presence, that's with a C-E, isn't the same as we consider the gift Jesus is offering to us. There's a feeling of being uncomfortable because of his sacrifice. In Luke we read, And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be for all people. For unto you was born this day, in the city of David, a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Food for thought, I hope. This is Russ Parker. Have a blessed day. Thanks, Russ. Up next, Riley Smith will visit with Mike Anderson of the Iowa Beef Industry Council for segment number two of Weekend Ag Matters on the Iowa Agribusiness Radio Network. If you thought soybeans were only used for tofu, think again. From tires and adhesives to next-generation asphalt, soy is used to create over 1,000 industrial products and counting. Thanks to your soy checkoff investment, the sky's the limit for Iowa soybean farmers. Oh, and speaking of skies, did I mention soy is also used in sustainable aviation fuel? The Iowa Soybean Association, powered by the soy checkoff, is driven to deliver for Iowa's 40,000 soybean farmers. Learn more at iasoybeans.com. Beef promotion is very important in the state of Iowa as it drives extra demand and value for Iowa's beef producers. I had the chance to talk with Mike Anderson. He is the executive director of the Iowa Beef Industry Council. I visited with him at the Iowa Cattlemen's Association Leadership Summit this month. And, of course, we had a nice long chat about the promotional efforts that they've had this year, some successes they've seen, as well as things they are excited for in the future. Uh, first off, Mike, just tell us a little bit about uh, what this past year has been like uh, with the Beef Industry Council and what are maybe some of the best things you saw from this year? 
Yeah, well, uh, this was my first year uh, as the executive director of the Iowa Beef Industry Council, so just kind of getting to learn the lay of the land, um, but now can start laying some groundwork or for some programs, either existing ones, improving those, or, or starting some new ones. And so over the past year, um, really tried to key in on our state research dollars. So that involves the extra 50 cents per head of our state checkoff um, goes strictly towards production research. And so we work with several several universities here throughout the Midwest, including Iowa State University, uh, South Dakota State, and Nebraska, and some of those others, um, to really focus on the needs of producers and what they're looking for as far as production research. We take those dollars and then fund those projects. And so this uh, next year, really want to key in on telling that story, um, what the results were from those projects. And moving forward, um, we'll ask for more ideas from producers on what to fund here in the future. So that's been one. A uh, really neat program that we've um, trying to strengthen over this next year. Um, we've also uh, done a lot with our consumer side um, with our it's called a build your base program and really it focuses on sports nutrition for college high school athletes and so been working with um, some colleges University of Northern Iowa, Iowa, Iowa State and some of them and then also with some of high schools around the state and really growing that program in the, in the next few years um, teaching the importance of protein um, for sports rehabilitation or replenishing those uh, nutrients for those after athletic activities and so that's another program that we've been um, looking to grow throughout. Um, we've also uh, really tried to do more of a, a a better job, I should say, um, of telling our story to producers who then can tell that story to the consumer. Um, you know, nowadays we're running at least probably four generations removed from the family farm and how food and where it's produced. And so we really have to be more kind of on the offensive part and telling the good things that we do as far as production practices to our consumers, um, as far as the environment and climate and that sort of stuff. So telling our story better over this next year as well. So talking about that research and those efforts that have been going on, and you can kind of see as, you know, unfortunately we did have a lot of challenges this year, but maybe the silver lining to that is that's a lot of opportunities for research and to learn new things. So, you know, especially I know you guys from working with Iowa State have seen a lot of results from that. And, you know, over the course of the year, I, I think you can say as well that even with those challenges, you come out stronger on the other side of it with that research and what you've learned. Yeah, and, and to be in Iowa, we're uniquely positioned um, geographically. You know, we're in the, the heartland of the country, in the middle of the country, and we've got, you know, abundant resources as far as corn and feed supply. And so that really allows us to do a lot of those research projects with those cattle and producers um, that can benefit them, but also um, others throughout the country as well. So we've got the resources to do that as far as feedstuffs, um, the management practices as far as, you know, Winters here in Iowa can get can get kind of rough, and in summers we've had you know a lot of drought, and so we can um, do projects on that as well. Plus, we've got the full cattle cycle where we'll do projects on you know feeder calves, but also through the whole production cycle through the feedlot sector as well. Right, and you know you mentioned as well telling that story and being proactive with telling the story instead of just being reactive and you know correcting people on what the story truly is. If we just put it out there in the first place, we could see that. And you know it's not just important for you know, organizations like the Iowa Beef Industry Council to tell it. You got to have those members and those uh, producers telling it as well. So it's kind of a, a whole industry effort to make sure that story is out there and, and the real information is out there from real producers. Correct. You're exactly right. Um, I think in the in the livestock industry as a whole, whether it's we're talking the beef industry or pork or poultry, um, we've kind of been more on the defensive side. We get to some of the, the activists and those that want to harm or, or put away, you know, livestock production, agriculture. Um, we've been more proactive in telling our story from a more positive perspective, the good things that we're doing as far as production practices, um, environmental for, you know, 
soil and, and water practices and things like that and how we're doing manure management on the livestock side of things and, and especially in the beef industry um, you know we have a we've been the most sustainable as far as species because we've got cattle that you know graze the pasture and then um, turn that you know the manure into the nutrients to the ground and then the corn grows and, and it's a full life cycle and so we're at a unique advantage in the cattle industry that we can really accentuate how that works uh, from a production st standpoint. Right. And, you know, sustainability is kind of that big word. And, you know, there are a few industries that are more sustainable or at least, like you said, more um, circular or cyclical in the way that uh, they work with, uh, you know, upcycling nutrients and making sure that it's more readily available for us to take advantage of as well. And what are some of those promotional efforts that people could look forward to uh, seeing from the Iowa Beef Industry Council over the course of the year or even some upcoming, you know, kind of promotional efforts that are really going to help, uh, you know, like we said, tell that story of uh, the cattle industry? Yeah, I think just getting the word out, um, doing some more traveling, uh, either from myself or our staff and, and especially our board members. Um, we're partnering with the Iowa Cattlemen's Association with our the Iowa Cattlemen's Leadership Program that they put on. And so the Iowa Beef Industry Council is, is doing more of that with some media training with those participants, really helping them prepare to tell their story when they're out whether locally at a county-based uh, event or regional, and even on a national level, um, just about the advantages of, of cattle production. And so we're really keying in on that to, to grow that uh, select group of young people to tell that story as well. Right. You know, it, it can be intimidating to kind of sit there and think, well, I have to tell my story to a bunch of people. And it's not necessarily even asking that you just open up your farm for anyone to visit, but even just encouraging and being willing to engage in those conversations, and some of which might be a little difficult because, as we've mentioned, a lot of people are really far removed from the farm. But just being able to engage in those conversations in kind of a respectful way is, I think, a, a real key asset that we could have in this industry, right? Correct. Yep. You're exactly right. Yep. And like you said, um, just the, the lack of education out there and just especially with the young people. Um, they aren't growing up on production agriculture on farms or, or even acreages anymore. And so um, obviously in their mind, the food comes from a grocery store and they don't really know the history of how that food got to the table. And especially on a, on a global perspective, um, you know, the U.S., we export a lot of beef to countries like Japan and South Korea and Mexico, China. And that's a huge market, uh, not only for the U.S., but for Iowa in general, about over $400 per head um, of gain value for those U.S. export markets. And so that's been a key thing. We've sent uh, board members and, and things like that and staff members to trade mission trips to other countries to promote U.S. beef. Um, and so that's been really eye-opening to see those other countries really value the quality product that the U.S. produces. Mike, lots of great information today. For those of our producer listeners who would like to get in touch with the Iowa Beef Industry Council, learn more and even check out uh, where their checkoff dollars are going to, how can they do that? Yeah, our website is www.iabeef.org, um, and you can find a bunch of information on there. We're continually making improvements on the website to make it easier uh, for accessibility. Um, we're on social media as well, and on Facebook and Instagram and those types of things as well. Mike, thanks for taking the time to visit with us today and enjoy the rest of this Leadership Summit. Thank you very much. That again was Executive Director of the Iowa Beef Industry Council, Mike Anderson. And that's it for segment two of this week's show. When we come back, Dustin talks with Iowa Ag Secretary Mike Nag. This is Weekend Ag Matters. Hi, my name is Ethan Smith, and I've been a certified crop advisor in Iowa for about six years. The Iowa CCA program is valuable to me because it helps keep me informed on new topics and research around the industry, including soils, insects, diseases, and much more. It's also a great way to network with others around the state and beyond. Iowa is known for its crops, and that's why we're here. 
To learn more about becoming a certified crop advisor, visit iowacca.org. Welcome back to Weekend Ag Matters. Here's your host, Dustin Hoffman. Welcome back to Weekend Ag Matters. I'm Dustin Huffman here on the Iowa Agribusiness Radio Network. Well, Iowa 3rd District Congressman Zach Nunn has been plenty busy this week. Earlier on Wednesday, he put two bills into the congressional hopper concerning conservation agriculture. He worked with Virginia 7th District Congresswoman Abigail Spanberger from the Democratic side of the aisle as they co-sponsored each other's bills to help bring a little more clarity and a little more ease for farmers looking at conservation practices going forward. He also helped pen a letter that was leading the Iowa delegation in response to the Biden administration and the Department of Homeland Security shutting down two key rail access points between the United States and Mexico. We talked about both of those issues. Let's talk about your your bill coming through, uh, talking about the Conservation Innovation Act, what it's going to do, and why it's important to have that. This bill does. Uh, we're specifically, I've heard a lot from farmers this year. I'm on the Ag Committee working hard on the farm bill. We're also working on streamlining the Conservation Practice and Standard Act, and this is the Conservation Innovation Act that we're working on together. I think anybody who's listening to this channel is from Iowa knows very well that our farmers are better stewards of land than probably any conservationist in California or New York. We are the ones who prepare for the future. We've got the tools and the resources that we've got right here to be successful, and ultimately it's our way of life. We want to make sure that conservation takes place in the farm field, and sustainable throughout. Now, your bill is going to help by establishing what's going to be known as the Office of Conservation Innovation at USDA. So why is it important to have this office, and why is it not should it not be looked at as just another layer of bureaucracy from the USDA? Yeah, absolutely great question. One of the areas here is we're trying to streamline what both the USDA uh, Natural Resources Conservation Service is doing. Uh, they have become, uh, I'll say over the years, very bureaucratic, and there's hardly any opportunity right now for stakeholders such as Iowa farmers to get engaged in the process and share information up. Uh, it's become very top-heavy information out of D.C. down to the actual planter growers. And this office would take out from what they currently have, this is not a new funding source, but it is to say there's got to be an on-ramp for uh America's producers to be able to get their best information in front of USDA. Specifically with the Conservation Innovation Act, this office uh, would work within the NRCS to ensure the utilization of the most effective technologies. We're talking about AI and machine learning that's being practiced in the field right now during the revision of the current conservation standards to develop a new standard. So really, in the baseline level, we want to be able to get information into USDA versus USDA coming up with a standard and blasting that out. The second one, Dustin, you highlighted here is the Streamlining Conservation Practice Standard Act, and that would require the Secretary of Agriculture, uh, Secretary Vilsack, to provide a process for stakeholders to provide input on each of the conservation practices during the review process. And so we're all on the same page. Review of all conservative or conservation practice standards are on a rolling basis every five years, and the establishment to uh, expedite the process for a new conservation would allow for a quick on-ramp. So if we've got something that's really working or we said, hey, this is the best practice in conservation that we want to see, we don't have to wait five years for people to be able to start implementing it and getting credit with USDA. This would uh, allow them basically a fast lane to be able to get in there and start doing this uh, in the field in a way that really helps 
not only the soil and the crop, but also the the farmers who are leading this charge. Now, Congressman, now moving on from some of those conservation bills that are being put in, in this morning, uh, you also sent a letter leading the Iowa delegation talking to the Biden administration, Secretary of Homeland Security, uh, Alejandro Mayorkas. Uh, we just found out that two very important rail crossings into Mexico uh, from the United States have been closed. And now there's always been concern about how uh, border security has been handled uh, from administration to administration. Not, you know, this is nothing new. But the thing is, by shutting down this train, uh, these train crossings right now, that's putting a big strain on agriculture and other commercial goods that need to cross the border both to the south and to the north. And, you know, they're talking about 60 trains a day that can't cross the border. So, you know, talk right. about a little bit about this letter you've written. Well, Dustin, you nailed it. Look, as a lifelong military guy, I've got 20 years, including operations on the border, both targeting cartels inside uh, Mexico and flying recon operations at the border. I'm proud to be leading the Iowa delegation, who has all signed on to this direct letter of the president to DHS. We've included uh, the USDA in this to say this is a complete lack of strategy. Um, you know, sadly, we've seen for the last two years and even longer the six million illegal migrants coming across the southern border. This is by all means a dumpster fire, and the Biden administration has chose to pour gasoline on it by now saying we're going to shut down legitimate trade out of the United States into Mexico. So now we've got a double whammy for folks who uh, don't want to see illegal uh, immigration that taxes our communities, uh, burdens our overall, um, you know, relief structure for folks who need it here, while at the same time stopping one of our best markets, that of Mexico, Central America, and ultimately South America, by preventing um, legitimate freight trains from going across the Eagle Pass. And, I mean, you just look at the numbers, Dustin, and it's staggering. Uh, as you mentioned here, the transit, there's 60 transit trains sitting idle, 4,500 Union Pacific rail cars are going to have a delay and a backlog in the supply chain. And these rail crossings from the U.S. into Mexico are critically important transportation right here in Iowa for our agricultural project or products. You know, roughly 1 million U.S. jobs and 31% of American farm income are tied to these specific crossings. And since the Biden administration began, we haven't seen a real clear process not only to crack down on the illegal immigration, but we also haven't seen a situation where we're working with Mexico to make sure U.S.-based ag products are getting a fair shake at uh, being sold not only in Mexico, but our neighbors further to the south. This crossing ultimately hurts Americans in an attempt to prevent illegal crossings coming in from Mexico. We have got to have a comprehensive strategy that secures the border allows for legal immigration in a process, but never shuts down our ability to trade with um, our biggest trade partner in the world by closing uh, points of exit for U.S. Uh, ag export. And, and, you know, the one thing, too, that, you know, some people who are not in agriculture may not think about right now could be the would be the absolute if you're going to have to shut it down. Let's just say for that hypothetically, you have to shut it down. Right. This is the absolute worst time 
you could possibly do it because, one, the Mississippi River levels have been lower than they have been in a long time because of sustained drought for more than a year or two. And also the fact that the Mississippi River is also shutting down for the winter. We already seen it shut down to the north. That makes it increasingly harder for us to get our goods down the river to the ports on the Gulf and, and then traded that way. So we rely this year, this time of year, on those trains because of the fact the Mississippi River will start to freeze over soon. Dustin, you absolutely nailed it. I mean, these the two main ways for Iowa to export our ag products are going to be um, barges down the Mississippi and Missouri, both of which are, I mean, we're at the minimum amount we can get down, and it's going to get even harder as we head into January. And then through rail. There is some trucking, but primarily it's going to be uh, barge and rail. By shutting down uh, our pathway to the Gulf with the Mississippi closing, and at the same time, uh, rail closures along the U.S.-Mexican border, we've effectively, um, you know, cut off our nose to spite our face here on the immigration challenge. And I think that this reflects a larger sense of frustration that we've been working in the House, the, um, you know, major bills that we've passed here in uh, America's Energy Independence, H.R. 1, and Border Security, H.R. 2, the first ones that were signed up, have not been actioned at all in the Senate. And I would really like to see, for the sake of the country, this is not a Republican or Democrat issue, a strategy on how we're going to deal with not just the illegal migration coming into the United States, but what comes with it, the human trafficking, the fentanyl problem uh, from cartels buying things in China, but also our ability to effectively export and deliver to Mexico. We're talking about their energy, their food security as well, and we all know that food insecurity in the world um, results in really a very dangerous situation. So this has now made a horrible situation worse. I really hope that the administration will take your lead here, Dustin, as well as the Iowa delegation saying, we've got to put a plan in place on how to be able to secure the border, have effective trade, and cut down on the criminal activity. It's a very direct and simple ask, but so far we've heard no answers back. And that's why I'm proud to be leading this letter to specifically ask the Homeland Security team and the president with the USDA, what is our strategy going forward? Otherwise, we're going to continue to just run into a a meat grinder here, and it's not going to help anyone. All right. Well, Congressman Dunn, I thank you so much for taking the time to visit with us today and look forward to hearing more as these uh, bills and the situation with the rails moves forward. That's I really appreciate it. And thanks. Thanks all of our farmers as well. We're getting ready for next season. We'll talk with you soon. That's Iowa 3rd District Congressman Zach Nunn here on Weekend Ag Matters, and that puts the wraps on today's show. You can find all our content online at iowaagnet.com. From the IARN studios in Des Moines, I'm Dustin Hoffman. For Mark Magnus and Riley Smith and Russ Parker, we thank you for listening. Merry Christmas, Happy New Year from all of us here at the Iowa Agribusiness Radio Network.